We have spent the last ten sessions of our study on the Synoptic Gospels dealing with several things. Most importantly, we've dealt with what is known as the Triple Tradition. The Triple Tradition. Remember, Mark, written first, Matthew, and Luke, written after it, based on Mark. Remember that? The Triple Tradition is this. When Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all telling the story, they may have differences, they may have disagreements, but it's essentially the same story. The sequence may be out of kilter between Matthew and Mark, or Luke and Mark, or Luke and Matthew's sequence may vary relative to Mark's. Doesn't matter, so long as all three contain basically the story in an, to an to the extent that it's clear that Matthew and Luke are depending upon Mark for their source, then what you have is known as the triple tradition. The triple tradition. That's what we've been dealing with. Now, when we started, we were dealing with the infancy narratives in Matthew and in Luke. In Luke, we had the Wonderful story of the Annunciation on the regarding the, the birth of John the Baptist, and then the Annunciation to Mary on the birth of Jesus, then the birth of John the Baptist, and the birth of Jesus, and the shepherds and the angels, and the scene, the nativity scene there in the Bethlehem in the stable and all that stuff. You have all of the traditional imagery in and it's unique to Luke. And in Matthew, you have the unique material with the 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 genealogy and then the Annunciation unto Joseph. And then the birth of Jesus, which is told in one sentence. And then the coming of the Magi sometime later, almost two years later. And you've got all of that in the material in Matthew that's unique to Matthew. In what's known as the single tradition. The Matthian, the Lucan, single tradition material. Stuff that's unique to each of those Gospels. There's even a single tradition material for Mark. And we'll look at that in a minute. Um, But then there's the double tradition. And the double tradition is all the stuff that comes from the saying source. From Q. The material that is found in common between Matthew and Luke, but not found in Mark. The double tradition. And the double tradition is what we're going to start looking at now. We certainly haven't completed the triple tradition. We've got a lot of it to go. Where if you're going to read Mark's is the principal basis for your study in the Synoptic Gospels. The triple tradition is almost all of it. But that's not all that you have. You have material in Matthew, material in Luke that is not found in Mark that you've got to deal with. The teachings of Jesus in particular that are extensive that are not found in Mark, but they're found in Matthew and Luke. 
the double tradition. And that's what we're going to start looking at now. We'll, we'll, we'll spend the rest of the year, mostly December, looking at the double tradition. And what's the basis for deciding that Matthew didn't copy it from Luke or vice versa? Uh, well, there are several arguments to be made. Um, the idea you're saying is that Matthew copies his gospel and the teachings of Jesus that we identify as Q from Luke is what you're suggesting, or vice yeah, versa yeah, even, yeah, or even vice versa. Right. And what's the basis for that? Well, an analysis of – actually, we're going to see some of that today – an analysis of how, uh, how they cite things. It seems more likely that they're both citing a common source than they're citing e either either other. And you'll, you're, we'll see that today on the Beatitudes. There's really no way Matthew could be quoting Luke or Luke be quoting Matthew, not in right the way they did. They're quoting a common source, though, because they contain the same terms of phrase, often the same order, but not always, um, throughout it. We're remember this chart here? <laughs> I need to see that. This fabulous chart here? 10%. That Lisa and Stan compiled from the chart by Barr. This is an amazing chart. The stuff in the triple tradition is the stuff in Peach. The stuff in Mark that's also in Matthew and or in Luke. All right. Where Matthew and Ma Matthew and Mark agree together, but Luke doesn't follow. Doesn't matter. It's still Peach. <laughs> where where Mark and Luke agree together, but Matthew doesn't. Doesn't matter. It's still Peach, because all three of them agree in a ton of material, as you can see mm -hmm. between the three. When we finish the double an examination of the characteristics of the double tradition. We'll then take a short look at the single tradition in Mark. Everything green here is the stuff that's unique to Mark. <laughs> not much. You notice there's not much. There's not much at all. And in fact, this is identified rightly, I believe, as the defining, definitive, clear, graphical proof that Matthew and Luke write dependent on Mark for their, 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 their chronological outline of the teachings, the ministry, excuse me, of Jesus. Because they, between the two of them, they reproduce almost the entire gospel with the exception of a few little bits, like this one down here. In the arrest of Jesus, the story of the young boy who runs away and loses his loincloth, found in neither of the other two Gospels, only in Mark. And that's usually identified as being John Mark. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that tiny little green sliver there. Little sayings on the plucking of corn on the Sabbath, which we covered a couple of the last session. A little bit on the story in verse 20 on Beelzebub, 
the self-growing uh, seed, other few little accounts here and there, uh, the blind man of Bethsaida, uh, several stories, some of which are known only from Mark or at best echoed elsewhere, sometimes in John. But for the most part, it's just tiny little itty bitty little stories that didn't make it into either Matthew or into Luke or into both. And this is sort of a graphical proof. What they did, what Matthew did is he took Mark, spread it out, and then inserted material from another source. And that material is represented in Matthew and in Luke with everything that's blue on this chart. The stuff that is common to Matthew and to Luke, but not found in Mark, is blue. The stuff that's white is the single tradition of Matthew, the stuff that's only found in Matthew. The stuff that's yellow is the stuff that's unique to Luke. Hence, all of this pre-baptism stuff the Annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist, the Annunciation of the birth of Jesus, Mary's visit to Elizabeth, birth of John, birth of Jesus, circumcision and presentation of the child, the boy Jesus in the temple, all of that stuff prior to John the Baptist is unique to Luke. It's yellow. You notice you see stuff spread throughout Luke's gospel that's yellow. You find stuff that's spread throughout Matthew's gospel that's white. All the stuff that's unique to Matthew's gospel, beginning up here with that genealogies of Jesus and stuff. Looks like there's more yellow than white, though. Right. More, more yellow than white. Luke has more unique material. We should have already realized that by this mm -hmm. point in our study. Mm -hmm. Our study prior to the baptism of Jesus, prior to the beginning of Mark, <laughs> which is what that is, our study was heavily weighted towards Luke. Because Luke has the balance of the material. Matthew has a tiny bit. Luke has a lot. You also have those sections where you have intermixture. For instance, the story of the narrow gate and a set of warnings which come in chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel. It's part of the Q material, but it also contains a lot of stuff that is unique to Matthew, kind of interwoven. The same is true for what we're going to look at tonight. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Some of it is found in Luke. Some of it is unique to Matthew. Over here, you can see that reflected in the Sermon on the Mount, or rather in Luke, the Sermon on the Plain, <laughs> which is a smaller segment than here because Luke's Sermon on the Plain is shorter by quite a few verses than Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, yet it's the same sermon. And it's shorter, and as in Matthew, where it's blue and white, indicating it comes from Q, but it also has a mixture of stuff that is unique to Matthew, so also, and Luke, it's blue and yellow striped. Stuff that comes from Q, but with material that is unique to Luke, i.e., the woe passages, which are unique to Luke. There's not a whole lot of stuff that is Q 
peach and white, i.e. stuff from Mark that Matthew contains other stuff mixed in, unique to Matthew. There are, there is one example of that on this chart. But there's a lot of that going on over here under Luke, several examples, especially in the trial, death passages, and the empty tomb passage in Luke. From here down, it is a lot of mixed Mark and Mark and Luke. A lot of mixed stuff. Whereas over here in, in, in Matthew, it's almost solid peach with only little stripes of white in, in, interfering. So Matthew followed Mark more clearly, more directly than did Luke. And you could spend, and I have spent hours examining this chart. And I learn something every time I do it. And especially when you examine these two side by side, you get an idea of how they did it. For instance, this is Matthew over here. There's Matthew on both ends. Look at the middle mark right here on the left. Matthew takes Mark and spreads it out. And then inserts in large clumps the material that's common between him and Luke, i.e. the Q material. Luke spreads it out more, often interspersed with his own commentary and additions. Look at all the stuff that is blue and yellow, striped. There's a lot of it. Stuff that you find parallel in blue in Matthew, often right up in here, but uh, unedited, uninterpreted. For example, the woe passages in Luke. Um, uh, Luke spreads it out. Matthew does not. He clumps it more. The Sermon on the Mount is spread throughout. It, it, it's found in the little section on the Sermon on the Plain and throughout the travel dialogue, which we'll come to later. And we'll look at it independently. But beginning tonight, we're going to start with the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to run beginning in chapter 5 all the way through to the end of chapter 7. In this humongous clump of material that's either blue, blue and white striped, or white in Matthew's Gospel. The material that comes from Q. The question is, is some of this white stuff in here that's not found in Luke... Is some of this white stuff written by Matthew? Or does it come from Q and Luke didn't quote it? Yeah. Scholarship is divided. One of the best scholars on the subject is a fellow by the name of John S. Copland-Borg Verben. He wrote a massive book, Excavating Q. <laughs> a fabulous, high-powered Extraordinarily confusing at times, thickly written because it's, he's, he's, he's brilliant. Uh, professor of New Testament at the University of St. Michael's College in the Toronto School of Theology. And he's probably the leader, professor of people like Mack and Borg and a few others. He was their professor. Uh, probably the leader in Q studies and synoptic studies in the 20th, second half of the 20th century. Fabulous book. 
Don't agree with everything he writes. But he does a brilliant job of highlighting, I think. And another fellow who does, does the same thing, Fitzmaier, Joseph Fitzmaier, who is the, probably the unquestioned um, leading scholar until he died on Luke's gospel. Fitzmaier, who wrote the Anchor Bible commentary on Luke, which is one of the leading commentaries, Fitzmaier agrees and quotes him in this. That, that it looks to be that Matthew, in the sections here that are white, that are unique to Matthew, that are interspersed within all of this material, is actually quoting from Q. But Luke didn't quote it. And there are reasons why, as Fitzmaier indicates, and as I'll read a couple of those tonight, there are reasons why Luke doesn't quote it. Stuff that is more specific to Jews. That the Jewish Christians would find helpful, but which the Gentiles don't. So Luke didn't quote it. Whereas Matthew does. So, any, so as, as Fitzmaier would argue, and other Matthian scholars would agree well on this, and which Verbin agrees, much of this white stuff in here on the law, murder, adultery, oaths, almsgiving, and prayer, and fasting, ought to be solid blue. Or at least blue with white stripes and Matthian interpretations. All right? How can they tell the difference between <laughs> Q that's not in Luke and Matthew okay, that's not Q? How can, you tell, how can they tell the difference between Q that is not in Luke and Matthew, that is not Q. Thank you. By an analysis of how, where Matthew and where Luke both are quoting a common source, but inserting their own interpretations and adjustments. There are some of these places in here that are blue with white mm -hmm. and blue with yellow. It's the same passages, but interpreted. We're going to see one tonight but interpreted differently. When you look at that, and when you examine how Luke interprets and adjusts the material from Q, and then you take a look at how Matthew uses it, interprets it, or doesn't interpret it, you can kind of get a handle on what you got in the material that doesn't have a parallel in Luke. And because it's the way in which Luke, the Matthew seems to quote this chunk of material. I think the argument is pretty solid, although it's somewhat from silence, but it's not entirely from silence because you do have a comparison with how Q is quoted by Luke, and then you compare it to how Q is quoted by Matthew, and you can kind of see the same characteristics in the material that's white here in Matthew. But it's in the middle of a whole bunch of material that's from Q. Either solid blue or blue and white. A Q material would have quotation marks in mind, right? It's supposed to Not be always. Almost, almost always with a few little commentary and then he said. Or and then the disciples asked and then he said. But it's almost entirely Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. 
and it's those little Jesus saids that are still part of Q, but it wouldn't be within the quotes. Other than that, yeah, with a, one or two exceptions. One or two exceptions. But it's, I think it's a fairly decent argument that much of this solid white stuff in here that's unique to Matthew, but found in the midst of all this other stuff that's either solid blue or blue and white, should be identified as being blue, i.e. Q. Uh, I can probably say it again a little more easily. While Matthew is cited here as quoting from Q and interpreting Q similar to how Luke does, but with differences. Um, and then quoting from something that isn't Q on this chart, because it's not found also in Luke, mm -hmm. it's probably a better argument that what you've got is Luke not quoting it. We'll see an example here. Luke not quoting it, but it actually coming from Q. Let's, let, let's, let's get an example here. I want to give you an example. This will illustrate my point. Here we have the Beatitudes from Matthew and Luke side by side. Just listen. From Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3 and following. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now take a look at Luke. Then he looked up from his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely reward is great in heaven. For, what is, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Let's stop right there. Now. Sounds pretty Jewish. <laughs> that does sound kind of Jewish, but we'll take a look at that in just a second. There, that's, there's a point that can be made from that. Now, Matthew 5, 3 is the same thing as Matthew 6, 20, part B. Matthew 5, 4 is slightly different, but the same as Matthew 21, as Luke 6, 21, part B. In other words, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, is equivalent to blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. It's interpreted, but nevertheless the same thing. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The only difference there essentially is in spirit. We'll talk about that later. That's a whole, that's an hour's conversation. That's not my point right now. But then look what happens. Matthew keeps going. 5-5, five, 5-6, five, five, 5-7, five, 5-8, five, 5-9. Five, 5-10. Five, no parallel in Luke. Now, did Matthew just make that up out of cold cloth? That's material in here that's unique to Matthew. I thought Matthew five, 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 six, five, seven, five, eight, five, nine, and five, ten uh-huh. is material that's unique to Matthew. And there's, so there's nothing even even someplace else in no. that parallels that. No, there's a little bit of allusion elsewhere to those kinds of things, but no quote. Well, they both refer to hunger. But it's a yeah. different kind of hunger. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Uh-huh. And then you get down to five eleven, and you get it again. You get the quote six Luke six twenty two. Blessed are people. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when people revile you. And the word revile comes later as well. Bless you. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you. It's obvious that six Luke six twenty two is parallel to Luke five eleven and twelve. Matthew five eleven. So there's a gap. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, and at least somewhat ten are unique to Matthew. Unique to Matthew, not in Luke. Did Luke did Matthew make those up? Or did Luke not quote them? That's back to your question, Karen. Yeah, but why would Luke not quote them? Good question. Unless there's something about these that don't lend themselves to Luke's thematic and theological interpretation. He's writing to Gentile Christians in a Gentile community. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, no. The people who inherit the earth are those who succeed, who are victorious. That actually sounds a little Jewish in and of itself, doesn't it? Sounds a little American. Well, yeah, I'm thinking, well, what did they have to do? I mean, what did they have against meekness and mercy and purity of heart? Well, there (laughs) are allusions to it elsewhere in Luke, but it's articulated differently. You are Gentiles. Here it's not contained, not quoted. And the argument could be made that for whatever reason, Luke decided not to quote it, certainly not here. Because it wasn't a part of his focus in interpreting Jesus. And you can find that by looking at what then Luke adds that's not in Matthew. The woes stuff. The woes, which are parallel. Listen to this. This, I'm going to go from Luke 6, 20 through the end of 21, and I'm going to read the parallel immediately after each line from 24 and 25. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. That's not fair. Now, question. Either, now that's not quoted 
anywhere in Matthew. So did, did Luke make it up? Use it, is it reflective of Luke's interpretation? And, and his application of this for thematic and theological reasons? And I'll come to those in a moment. Is that what we have here? Or is it Matthew leaving it out, having read it in Q? Or is it Mary, being a Jewish mother, saying, well, you, <laughs> to her buddy, that gave it to Luke? Oh. That's what it sounds like to me. It reflects an interpretive layer. The first part isn't. In fact, the first part is probably a whole heck of a lot closer to what Q actually read. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. It's pretty straightforward and very concrete. What you have in Matthew is not as concrete. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, the idea being... Um, not well. First of all, I don't want to stretch this too much because it, remember Deuteronomic theology, which said that if you were righteous, you would get benefits, rewards, and if you were not righteous, you'd get punished. And therefore, if bad yes. things are happening to you, then you or your ancestors were unrighteous, and therefore, to have good things happen to you, you should be righteous. That's Deuteronomic theology. That's governing here. It was governing the Jewish Christian community. You better believe it. And it was also governing to an extent by adoption. Even the Gentile Christian community. Because they've adopted all this stuff. Including some of this Jewish way of thinking. And you have it here to an extent. But Luke is quoting this literally. You, blessed are you who are poor. I mean, you don't even have... 25, 35, 36 cents to your name. You're that poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Why should you worry about being poor in this life? You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, a subject of the king of the universe. Why makes you, get, why makes you richer that than any. more like something Jesus might have said. Yes, it is, it is concretely rooted to the Jewish circumstance. Luke quoting literally what he got out of Q, out of the saying source of Jesus. Matthew is softening it some. So the in spirit is the Matthew's edition? In spirit would be Matthew's edition. Uh -huh. so now, now, before you push that, you've got to understand... If you're poor in spirit, there's a reason for it. Deuteronomic theology is governing here, especially in a Jewish Christian community. If you're poor in spirit, you did, something wrong. you did something wrong. And if you are physically poor, you're not being blessed by God. You did something wrong. It's all interconnected. You can't push it too far because Deuteronomic theology is still governing, especially in the Jewish Christian community that's there with Matthew. It's still there. So this in spirit, though, does open it up to further application and interpretation outside the community where people do have more than 36 cents to their name. Even a refugee Jewish Christian community living in Antioch. All right. 
So they and, and look at what comes next. It's 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 not concrete things being hungry and weeping so much as mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart. What you have in Matthew is is material that is is theologically oriented. Rooted in Deuteronomic theology, yes. And especially when you understand what, for example, meekness means and hungering for righteousness means and being merciful means, especially within the Jesus teachings context of the rest of Q, you can see that in fact probably 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and 10, while not found explicitly in Luke's uh, copy of this is probably still going to come somehow from Q, probably from this area. And, and what is the interpretation of poor in spirit? I poor mean, in spirit is um, lacking in spiritual understanding. Could be, could be interpreted as being depressed, as being oppressed. Poor in spirit, incapable of rising to the spiritual calling that you have. And notice what the statement is. Not that you will be blessed, but that you are blessed. And not that yours will be the kingdom of heaven, but that your theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, notice... The same verb tense is present in Luke. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of heaven can also be seen as a somewhat spiritualizing conception here, for that kind of pushes it away. Kingdom of God's here on earth. Kingdom of heaven is yet to come. An idea. Which is, by the way, a false duality because... They are seen to be one and the same in most Jewish apocalypticism. But in the Gentile communities, that's not going to be as well understood. A kingdom of God, though, means it's here and now. Kingdom of heaven can be here and now, but it's more likely to be that which is going to be brought in, even though you're already a member of it. Well, he's. Let me get this straight because I don't want to oversimplify from the uneducated here, but. Both of them, Luke is saying specifically, he looked up at his disciples and he said, in the prelude to Mark, he's also talking to the disciples, and the rest of us are overhearing this, right? Uh, yes. It, 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 it actually, in the, pre, in the material, that, see, this, this story gets inserted into Mark's <coughs> accounting, uh, in which he has called his disciples, he's calling his yeah. disciples. Matthew opens it up to everybody. Luke kind of keeps it confined, which is an interesting observation, and may also change a bit of how you interpret this. Yes, it would. These are the use of your disciples. I mean, they're there with you. They're the ones who are hearing this. Right. This is not to convince anybody. (laughs) This is to support them. And he's saying this literally here, and he's using this literal language here. Mm -hmm. I think that Luke in... 620 and 621 and this is what Verbin says and this is what Fitzmaier says Luke is 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 probably quoting almost verbatim 
from Q there, but leaving stuff out. Matthew is interpreting Q in the same material, but, in, but including more, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition. And you can see that if you think about how, how the Jewish community might understand the meekness and the hungering for righteousness, which is a very Jewish idea, and the merciful conception. Blessed, first of all, think about it. You're, coming, you're, in, you're in a community that has been oppressed by the Romans to the point that you have been expelled from your homeland. And you're now living in Damascus and Antioch up in Syria and Asia Minor. And you're hearing, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Well, I don't want to give mercy to those dirty, stinking, rotten Romans. Now, convert that over. What if you're reading this out of cue and you're a Gentile living in Gentile territory? Mercy is important to you, and you're going to talk about that elsewhere in the gospel. But right here, right now, in the core of Jesus' proclamation, how important is it to contain that statement, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Well, why is it so Especially important? if it's literal within the context of blessed are the poor, yeah. blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who eat. Absolutely, but what is so important about woe to the rest of you people? That's <laughs> where it does come up. Um, I mean, why is he adding why in the woes? Luke, yeah, I mean, why I'd, do you have the blessings? Why do you have the woes? Yeah, okay, think about it. I'll just give you a literal illustration right here. I just spent 18 days on a cruise ship. And what do you do on a cruise ship? You eat. Now, quite frankly, I could probably go in from day today until Thanksgiving without eating another bite. <laughs> I am so full. But the reality is... Even though I am full now, I will become hungry again. That's part of nature. That's part of that's a that is a spiritual principle as well. You are full now, you will be empty. But what he has said prior to that is, blessed are you who are empty now, you will be full. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. So he's setting a principle. And one of the things that you have you need to follow is we're not talking about indi different individual groups. There are those who are poor, there are those who are hungry, there are those who weep. That's everybody. Likewise, there are those who are rich, there are those who are full, there are those who are laughing. Guess what? That's also everybody. Yeah, it's, it's a vicious cycle. You can't... <laughs> You can't win. You can't get out of it. Other than Other by than realizing that yours is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now. Uh -huh. You're in now, it. in it. For example, woe to you who are rich. Not, woe to you who are rich, for you will be wiped out of the kingdom of God. No! That's what you almost expect. Mm -hmm. And elsewhere you hear about, you know, it's easier for a rich man to... To uh, enter into heaven than for a, a, a camel to go through the eye. No, excuse me. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Yeah. And they, by that, that, they're not talking about some gate that was hard to get through unless you took the baggages off the camel. And they're not talking about a very thick camel's hair to go through the eye of a needle. They're talking about a great big camel going through a little eye of a needle. Literally. And 
here, that, 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 that stuff is in the Gospels too. Um, but that's not what it's saying here. He's not saying you're not going to make it. He simply says you have received your consolation. You've gotten all you're going to get. You've gotten all the good stuff. You're not going to get any more riches, but, you're, but he doesn't say you're thrown out of the kingdom of heaven. But then look what he says next. If you're, hung, if you're full now, you're going to be hungry again. And if you're laughing now, you're going to mourn. By the way, that word woe, that word woe, what does that mean? Sadness, bad things. Omen of... Huh? It's an omen of bad things to <laughs> it's, come. It's an it's acronym. It's an acronym. The worst on everyone. Worst on everyone? It's an acronym. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whoa. The Greek word is... Oi! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a transliteration of the Jewish, Jewish uh -huh. and Yiddish. Oi! Oi! Uh -huh. Oi! Which in English we transliterate as whoa. In other words, what do you do when bad things happen? Oh! Yeah. It's not, it, it, it is literally a transliteration of the sound you make. Whoa. Like when somebody hits you. Oh! It's a transliteration of the sound that you make. Woe is me. Woe is me. Oi! In, in Greek. I, I just wanted to make sure that's what it said. <laughs> and it does. So what does the may mean? Oi may! Me! Me! Oi may! Oh me! Oh my! Now I know! You see, that's kind of what you got here. It's, oh, you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. You're not going to get any more bennies. You've got it all. You've had the best in this life. You know, the poor, they're the ones who get now to experience that kingdom of heaven and all the riches. Uh, I, uh, walk into the Vatican. More gold, more statues than you can possibly ever imagine. The riches of the Vatican are like filthy rags compared to the riches of the kingdom of God. That idea is what you're talking about. Those guys may have been rich over there. Kingdom of heaven puts them, kingdom of God puts them to shame. So this sort of implies that even if you're in the kingdom of God, those guys get the good stuff and you don't. You get, no, those guys get the good stuff. Those guys get the good stuff. The ones that are hungry now get the good stuff later, later. on. Mm -hmm. And since you've had good stuff now, you don't get all You've already good had stuff. it. You've already had your good stuff. Yeah. It's not so, always... so when they get their good stuff, well, you're don't not take it too literally again. Remember, okay. everybody is hungry then okay. filled, or filled yeah. then hungry. Everybody mourns and then laughs. That's interesting. That's I, right. But is that what I think I did? Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just crossed the two yes, gospels. <laughs> mourns and then laughs. Uh, mourns and then are comforted. Yeah. Or to invert it, uh, woe to those who are comforted now, for they will mourn. <laughs> if you want to create a woe for Matthew. That's, that's now, I think that Verbin and Met and uh, Fitzmaier are right. Matthew was quoting Q in this piece. Mm -hmm. 
that's unique to Matthew. Luke is leaving it out for various reasons that they don't apply to his theology at this point. So what's he leaving out? He's leaving out Matthew 5, 5, 5, 6, 5, 7, 5, 8, and 5, 9. And maybe part of 5, 10. Yeah. So. Blessed Luke's, are those. Luke's got the hungry stuff, doesn't he? He has hunger, period. Whereas um, you could say that Matthew is, is reflecting that in hunger and thirst for righteousness. You could make a weak argument that that's the same thing. But the focus there is more on righteousness, desiring righteousness. Not so much hunger. Luke is very clearly literal here. Yeah. Very clearly literal here. To be empty, to be full. But I, my goodness, I've done the same thing myself. You can preach on that theologically and say you're empty of God's presence or you're full of God's presence. And that right there sounds just like what Matthew is doing. So maybe you could make that argument. But nevertheless, there's a, this, these pieces here, 5, 5, 5, 6, well, well then let's do it this way. 5, 5, 5, 7, 5, 8, 5, 9, and 5, 10 are reflective of material that is definitely not in Luke here. And really not anywhere other than it, it agrees with things that are said elsewhere, but it's not quoted. Luke is leaving out. And the argument, therefore, should be clear. Luke doesn't always quote what's in Q. Matthew sometimes does. Likewise, Matthew doesn't always quote what's in Q. Of course. But Luke sometimes gets it. So just as Matthew and Luke quoting Mark reproduce Mark almost entirely with only a few little slivers left out, so also Matthew and Luke quoting Q reproduce Q almost entirely, probably with only a few little slivers left out, if any. And we'll never know what those are unless we find it. So these woes are Q, you think? No. I didn't think you were saying that. The woes aren't Q. The woes are, are Lucan interpretations. Okay. Driven by the theology that he's presenting here of, of Jesus' proclamation. That, 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 that every valley and every hill will be brought even. The high places made low, and the low places made plains. That proclamation, which is endemic from Isaiah, and which Jesus proclaimed as his proclamation, is found here also in Luke. In, in the core of Luke's understanding of the ministry. Of I Jesus. think they may have understood that better than we do. Some of us do today. <laughs> this does not look, sound like that evening out thing to me. It sounds like, don't be rich, you're not going to get through that needle. No, don't, because it doesn't say they're not in the kingdom of God. It simply says you've received your consolation. Right. You've, like, you've, you've gotten your riches. So how do we know that that wasn't I, part of Q? How do we know that the woes aren't a part of Q? Well, it could be, and there are a few who make the argument that they are, but it, it doesn't, it, it's almost too juicy for, for Matthew to have left it out. Yeah. No good argument can be seen why he would. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. at least in some context, plus... Since he was so thorough with the rest of them. And, and that they are so parallel, the first portion, but opposite. They are the mirror opposites of the first portion. Almost seems like they're artificially constructed. Um, they could be a part of Q, but it's a harder argument to make that they are than it is to make that 5, 5, 5, 7, 5, 8, and 5, 9, and 5, 10 are part of Q, which Luke leaves out for other reasons. Well, isn't that mirror image thing something that is a tradition in the Hebrew scripture? Well, it, it has, you're kind of talking about couplet, right. couplets. Um, polar, bipolar opposite coupleting is a characteristic, somewhat of a characteristic of Jewish preaching, Jewish teaching. But that's hard to make that argument unless you also had something similar over here in Matthew. That's a good that's a good point. But unless you had something similar in Matthew, it's going to be harder to make that argument. Um, let's see. He, according to this fellow here, according to Fitzmaier, he says that Luke has fashioned a few verses on his own. <laughs> and then he cites 24 through 26 as an example, and there's a lot more listed here. Okay, does that mean if he's fashioned them on his own and he's doing this Lukean interpretation, uh -huh. is this supposed to be, this is what he's interpreting Jesus as saying? He is almost right. like completing the thought or making the point because he's doing it shorter. Well, here, 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 this will be helpful. He says, whereas Luke's sermon consists of a mere 30 verses, Matthew's sermon has at least 107 verses. Wow. Not three times as many. Isn't that something? Uh, Luke has shortened this collection to one-third the length that you would have in Matthew. And he but usually doesn't do that. He usually elongates. Well, he usually anything. interprets, and that's yeah. even when you include the material that he has already interpreted. Yeah. Now, now, just, just, just to keep the argument going, despite many differences in the... This is from Fitzmaier in the... Uh, uh, the Gospel according to Luke, uh, and it's the Anchor Bible commentary. Uh, despite many differences in the two sermons, there is a basic similarity in them that makes one argue to a nucleus sermon that was inherited uh, by Q and that the two evangelists have reworked each in his own way. The similarities are such that they suggest that the tradition has pre has preserved here something from an extended sermon delivered by Jesus toward the beginning of his ministry. Even though the Markan Gospel has no counterpart of the sermon on the mount or plain, the topically arranged sermon in parables in chapter 4 of that Gospel may also be a recollection of such an early extended sermon of Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And we'll see that in a minute. The similarities between Matthew and Luke and forms of this extended sermon are found in the following points. Subject matter, 
the nature of the Beatitudes themselves in Jewish uh, literature, content, the conclusion of it, the occasion of it, and the relation to a common place. In Matthew 5, 1, on the mountain, in Luke, after descent from the mountain. And if you think about it, and where this is happening, it's, uh, if you stand at the Church of the Beatitudes, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, which is down in a bowl, supposedly, if Matthew's account is the more correct one, and it probably is, Jesus stood up there and preached to the people who were gathered from the lake up to him. In Luke version, he's come down from up there, and the people are gathered, the, the disciples, and then the people are gathered up the hill. Hmm. And he's down there almost in an amphitheater, yeah. which is reflective of Gentile understandings of how speakers speak and where they speak from. Whereas the Jewish tradition, you spoke from a higher place down. So that's why a lot of people say that, and Fitzmaier is one of them, says that while the occasion is the same between the two Gospels, Luke has crafted it to be uh, intelligible to Gentile readers and hearers who are used to people speaking to them in an amphitheater from down below, whereas Matthew is articulating in the Jewish context of people speaking from above. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. The differences between the two sermons are largely owing to Matthew's additional use of Q material, material that Luke has mostly reserved for his travel account. This can best be seen by a glance at the analytical tables and a synopsis, and I will be doing that later for us. Um, in many of these episodes, Luke has preserved the original order of Q and sometimes even a more natural, perhaps the original, setting for sayings or pronouncements, whereas Matthew has topically arranged otherwise scattered but related sayings. For instance, contrast the use of the Our Father in Matthew 6, 9 through 13 and Luke 11, 2 through 4, which is what we're going to do next or week after next. So he says some of this arguable well, Q material is found later. Yes, as we will see much later on, there are parallels not to these particular verses, but later on there are examples in Matthew where they're compiled together really closely in clumps that Luke has spread out more. I mean, it's hard to escape the conclusion that, that Luke has rejected much of this material. He's not neat. He doesn't feel it's necessary. And, and he's and the little bit that he's uh, used, why he's embellished significantly with know, the so woes. Yeah, with the woes, which is interpretive. Yeah, that's an interpretive addition to drive the point home that's being made in the earlier passage. He's driving it home now with the woe and the 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 mirror opposite. Now. What you'll see is when we when we go a little later on, you'll see that Matthew will clump in a sequence, and we'll use Matthew's our guide so we can then see what Luke's doing. Um, as you read down through Matthew, you will you'll discover that we're bouncing all back and forth in Luke between the location of the sermon and then the travel dialogue. It's going to be weird. We'll be reading along in in Matthew straight down in sequence, 
but we're going to be bouncing back and forth <laughs> in the, between the two sections, depending upon where Luke is placing these stories and what fits. Meyer is saying, and Lucan scholar is going to say this, well, Luke did a better job of, of reflecting the actual setting of it in his interpretation and reading of Q. A Mayan scholar is going to say, oh, no, Matthew had it better. He interpreted it more accurately. <laughs> and he had two-thirds more. He includes more. Well, in, more, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is just, which is just this, Right here. Yeah. That's the Sermon on the Mount. What follows a little further on is extended portions that are placed in the same section, but are found elsewhere. The Sermon on the Mount here, the Sermon on the Plain there. Really tiny little sliver here, much wider there. Well, is this maybe because the Jewish Christians were more... They were familiar with the Jewish heritage, and I mean, it was, it was just them. They were certainly familiar that's with the beatitudes. That's the way they thought, and that's the way they were. They were certainly more familiar with beatitudes. They have them throughout their scriptures. And the Gentiles were just everybody else, so they were from all over the place, and multiple different religious backgrounds. Right, and so this was maybe to them. This stuff is aphorisms. To um, Jews, this stuff is. Not it's beatitudes, it's scripture type stuff. Right, but so Luke felt needed to sort of explain things. He needed to put many of these teachings into a different context. Which do I believe is more accurate? I don't know. Maybe neither. But it's like Luke was giving them, you know, a lesson, you know, and then explaining the lesson. A short, he's giving them a short summary. Yes, he gives the lesson, then he explains it or interprets it or applies it. Okay. Matthew just all together. Yeah, because his audience already knew. Fitzmaier says elsewhere, Luke is far more crafty in constructing and utilizing Q, whereas Matthew is more sloppy. I, I think that's a judgment. I think it's more correct to say Matthew was just willing to compile things together more into larger chunks because it's easier. Not sloppy, it's just a little easier. Not lazy, just a little easier. Whereas Luke is what, and, and the context from which Matthew is writing and into which Matthew is writing is more amenable to that, which follows what you're saying. Whereas Luke knows he's got to interpret this more. Yeah, he, was, he was being the teacher. He's, yeah, he's got Matthew to interpret this more, the reporter. put it in the setting, give it context, give it meaning, give it a spin. And sometimes he's quoting Q far more directly, sometimes he doesn't. But he often does when he quotes it. And he quotes him extensively. There are huge sections that are just solid blue. So Matthew just had to tell him what happened. I mean, his audience. Yeah. This is it. This is the way it went. There you go. And, and then he, because he knew that they would understand what was going on. And what he does is he, that he expands it a little bit. Yeah. It's not just poor physically, but poor in spirit. If you're physically poor, then you're going to be spiritually poor. Trust me. That's what, that's what the Jews would say. Okay. So he does expand a little bit with in spirit. But for the most part, he just, you know, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, who are meek. Oh, straight down. Whereas and Luke, Luke was writing a curriculum. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, really. 
that that's really that's really well put. There's yeah. I was just gonna say again. How how does the uh, paradox between you know hungry now, full now? You know, I mean, I mean, how how does that how does the woe explain the first part? You know, what what does it what does it add? What what, what do you think its point is? Uh, you said something. Well, look at the part we've skipped. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Now that you find in both Matthew and Luke, immediately following that, he then starts the woes. Don't miss what he says here. You, you have this proclamation of blessed, and then this weird blessed are you when people hate you. Ooh. It means that you're doing the right thing. It means that you're doing the right thing when they hate you, when they revile you, when they exclude you, when they defame you on the count of on my account, Jesus said. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. That's interesting. That sounds a little like Matthew, doesn't it? Hmm. A little bit of that projection bit. A little bit of that, well, you may not have it here, but you're going to have it over there. Well, don't, don't forget that, that that over there bit is also right here. I.e., blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Not something that's to come, it's something that is now. And then he follows it with these woes, immediately following that. Why is it oi? Why, is, why do you have this oi in this mirror sequence or mirror parallelation here to what you have earlier? Well, if you have been poor and you're going to inherit this kingdom and you do indeed and are now in this kingdom of God, if you've been rich... You've been part of the kingdom of this world. Ooh. If you're full, you've been feasting on the product of this world, not on the kingdom of God. If you're laughing now, you're rejoicing in what the world is giving you now, the kingdoms of this world, not in what the kingdom of God is giving you. He's, 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 he's setting, it's, it's like the, the goats and the, sheep. and the sheep, in a sense, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like the goats and the sheep, in a sense. It is, except with the exception. you can be happy. You can be happy. God can give you something right here, right now, and why can't you be happy? What are you, you're with happy. With the exception that, again, even though it's articulated in literal language, you shouldn't push it too far, literally, because the parallelisms tell you it's the same groups of people. See, that's what I don't get. What? That he's describing the same groups of people. It seems to have to be very temporal, right? It, here's, it here's the way it is now, folks, right? You know, and uh, if you're hungry now, why you're going to be okay. But if you're full now, you're done for. 
you you had it. I, I don't I don't see that. Well, no, it says you will be hungry. You will not. You will, you will be unfilled. Um. Hmm. And if you're laughing now, you'll be mourning and weeping. And it's not just if you are hungry now, you will be filled. Notice he switches to future tense there. But in that first one, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Not, not yours will be the kingdom of God. Yeah, but that, you will that, be filled, that, you will laugh. Right, those two are future projected. But that first one then also stands separate in verse 24, where instead of inversing or reversing the status of richness, he simply says, you have received your reward or your consolation. That's interesting. In the very one where temporality is present tense, the, the mere woe doesn't remove the state of richness. It simply says, for you have received your consolation. And then the others then switch back to the future tense projection. If you are full now, you will be unfilled. You will be hungry. If you're laughing now, you will mourn and weep. What do you think? You, you look like you're churning on something. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost saying to me that Wherever you are now, it's not always going to be this way. And yeah. if, if times are tough now, keep your chin up, it's going to get better. Okay. And if you're in a good position now, everything's okay, don't be cocky about it because it's not always going to be so great. Which is one of those not only almost laws of nature, but it's certainly a spiritual principle. When you, what you said just, just before your second statement, mm -hmm. can you say it again? Um, if times are hard now, keep your chin up because things are going to get better. Mm -hmm. just, just before that. And no, that, that, that's exactly right. Things are going to get better. Mm -hmm. Actually, things are better now. Things are better now. They're not as bad as you think they no, are. Things are not as, good, not as bad as you think they are. Likewise, if you're rich now, things may not be as good as you think they are. Okay. Think about it that way because the tense here is present. Yeah. We're continually wanting to project that poor, you will become rich. Okay. He doesn't say that. No. If all three of these were, were exactly the same, it should read, Blessed are you who are poor, for you will become rich. Blessed are you hungry now, for you will be filled. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is seen as bringing far more than simple temporal riches. And if you are rich now, well, that's nice. You've gotten your consolation. You, you, you don't get any more. No more pennies. It does almost imply, though, if you're rich now, you have received your consolation. And you and won't have the kingdom of God. That, that, you is, Thank that you. is a... Thank you. That's a conclusion you're drawing which would be parallel to things that Jesus says elsewhere. But it doesn't say it here. Oh, it's it a conclusion. Mean. It's your conclusion you're drawing. Yeah. 
but it's not one that's written there. Well, there goes yeah, my idea that this doesn't sound like Jesus. But just as just but just Jeez. as the second part of the first couplet, for yours is the kingdom of God, doesn't says for you will be rich. Just also also the second couplet, woe to you who are rich, for you will be made poor. It doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't. But it Which it should. If you're doing direct parallels, or mm -hmm. even if what you're going to do is spiritualize this from the Matthew interpretation, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's make up a woe. Woe to you who are rich in, in spiritual th uh, whatever things, for, for you will be made poor. <laughs> he doesn't say that anywhere. I just made up, whoa, whoa up. But, well, yeah, but, but that's the, the problem is trying to, to nail it. It's like jello. You're not going to be able to nail it down quite exactly. Now, the, the second and the third you can nail down. The tense doesn't give you a problem, and they're direct, they are direct mirrors of each other. The first one is the slippery and jello-y one. He's almost like he's wanting to not say you're out in the cold, buddy. Probably because he writing to some Gentile groups, he's got some rich people in his congregations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's not wanting to exactly say that outright. Because he knows they're not going to make their pledge. Well, is and they're going to write a letter to the district superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> is it something like... If you're rich now... That's good for you, and if that's all you care about, that's all you get. Yeah. Think about what Jesus says elsewhere in terms of the power of money. The question is, it's not so much being rich. Is it, do, do your riches control you, or do you control your riches? Yeah. Are they your God, i.e. mammon? And that's where the problem comes in. For most people who have exceeding wealth, the wealth is their God. It controls them instead of they controlling it. And for this group here that being woe is being spoken of, I think that's the group you're talking about. Those who, for whom the wealth controls them. The wealth controls them. You could also say, you could read it this way. Blessed are you who are poor. That poverty isn't going to control you. You're part of the kingdom of God. The richest possible kingdom you could be in. Even though you might think the poverty... Even though the poverty can be crushing. You don't have 36 cents to your name. You're still a part of the kingdom of God now. Which makes you richer than, the, than, than Bill Gates. Well, I think we have to... Repeat your words. He doesn't really say that. No, <laughs> you think we've been we've been doing nothing but interpreting yeah. here. Yeah. Exactly. Luke is interpreting Jesus, and we're interpreting Luke. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is what goes on. That, that's that one of the reasons why Luke is actually more fun here. You can deal with him more. Whereas Matthew is sort of yeah, he adds in spirit. Their books have been written on why Matthew writes in spirit, and yet they ignore. The Lucan account, because it's just, it's just not as, it, 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 it's, it's, it's more difficult to get a hold of, but yet it's more, it's like jello, but at the same time, it's more interesting. And that's going to be true throughout a lot of it. 
Most people know the Sermon on the Mount from, well, where do they get the name from? The Mount. So they, they know it from Matthew. <laughs> Whereas Luke contains much of the same stuff, but it's different. Enough so that you go, ooh, read it to me from Matthew instead. And a lot of people haven't even heard of the Sermon on the Plain. Yeah, that's right. They think it's a 747. <laughs> they don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of air in there. What? Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's possible, assuming the problem, Jesus only said something like, blessed are you who are poor. But he didn't have any rich people in his audience to... So he was just talking to you, to a, uh, you know, a rural. Maybe. We don't know. Audience. There were probably a few people who had what their society would call, and I mean the Jewish society would call, riches. But the Gentiles would still look down their nose at them and still consider them dirt poor. And in our, <laughs> in our estimation, they certainly are. They are working people who have done better. I mean, think about it. Think, think, think for just a moment. Matthew, tax collector. That's exactly what I was Levi, the tax collector. I mean, he wasn't poor by their not by the by the Roman definition and by ours. You better believe he was. But by their definition, the tax collectors lived off the backs of the people. They were they were traitors. And yet, one of them's right there. One of them, it is said, is the author of the gospel according to the tradition, which is quite a scandal. <laughs> quite a scandal according to the tradition. But uh, yeah. Uh, but he wouldn't have been likely to say, but you who are rich, you know, I don't think he would. Tax <laughs> you know, the woe isn't there. <laughs> it matters. Now, did you notice the woe was there? Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. We're all That's why he added it. Matthew is easier to preach exactly. from here. A lot easier to preach from. I've preached plenty of sermons on each one of these. Sometimes together, sometimes separate. One of my favorite sermons to preach is blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Why? That word meek. What does that word meek mean? I'm assuming. Um, Humble. Doormat. 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 That's great. Take what the word means in Greek. Word is an equestrian word. Used for horses that had been tamed, brought under control of a master, still super strong, well capable to pull chariots, but tamed or, or uh, domesticated or brought under the control of a master. Not a doormat, not at all, but had been given a place, a position, training, and knows and loves, that. yes, and knows and loves the master's voice and will do what the master says. And that's what you got here. Blessed are the are those, the tamed, <laughs> for they will inherit the earth. Not the doormats, the tamed. I, I've preached whole sermons on that. 
One of my favorite passages there. Because the world wants you to be a doormat. Thinks all Christians should be meek. Meek and, and, and mild and milk toast. And... No! You could, you could replace that with nerds. Nerds, yeah. Has nothing to do with the... That, does, but, that verse 5 of Matthew 5 has nothing to do with being a doormat. Turn well, around and put your wallet into it. Being a nerd doesn't it, necessarily have anything to do with being a doormat either. Mm -hmm. The nerds could, are the ones that study. They but that's the, the connotation right now. They, they work hard and they achieve and they end up being Bill Gates. And they made the internet. Yeah, that's right. In many cases, oh, no, that was along with that vice president. <laughs> along with that, certain let's make yeah. up a woe for me. Yeah, make up a woe. They go through um, rules and they raise the Woe, woe are you who are uncontrolled, arrogant, mm -hmm. braggadocious, without a master, satisfied with yourself and nobody else? I did it my way. Frank. Yeah. Well, I, I think the opposite would be blessed. I mean, woe to the master who renders you meek and controls your life. Well, that would certainly follow from that, but he, the woes always have to deal with the person itself. Like, uh, blessed are you, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Woe to the unmerciful, for they will receive no mercy. <laughs> and actually, we got examples of that. We got examples of that elsewhere in Matthew. Ah. All right. Not that, that exact one. quote, but we have a whole parable that deals with that. We have a whole parable that does that tells that story. Let's see. No, what's that? <laughs> the man who was forgiven little. Oh yeah. No, I mean, much. The man who was forgiven much refused to forgive little. That's exactly right. Man. And therefore the master put Can't all of his debt back on him. Right. And remember that? That's a whole parable. That's true. Really. That, that. God's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, we just, we, whoa. when you do a woe, you come up with that parable, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Uh, woe are the unpure in heart, for they will never see God. They will see the devil. <laughs> so you can create you can yes you can build woes and then you hear you can hear some of that stuff so even if Luke has crafted these woes he's not doing so outside the stream of thought that is present within the gospels elsewhere he's reflecting much of the same kind of thought that you have elsewhere. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Woe to those who fight and quarrel and create war, for they will be called children of the devil. That's <laughs> <Yes>, right. <laughs> I mean, actually, it's kind of fun to make up woes for these. Yeah, it? <laughs> it's yeah. kind of fun to make up woes for these because be you can hear echoes of Jesus even in those even though we just made those up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it comes within the kind of thought frame that you've got in the gospels that you've got in Jesus and we'll see a whole lot more of when we move on thoughts before we call this to a close mm -hmm. well I think you pretty well answered my notion that 
stick to the quotation marks, you know, these. <laughs> I think they were perfectly willing to put words in Jesus' oh. mouth. If they oh my God! They had no trouble doing that. Interpreting, expanding. I think the concept of interpreting is really what we're dealing with here. Even if it's stuff that Jesus didn't say, even if Jesus didn't say these woes, literally say them. When you start fleshing them out, you see they're coherent with what Jesus says elsewhere, what we have in his parables elsewhere. And you can hear that when you invert these beatitudes from Matthew and create woes out of them. Oh my goodness, that sounds just like a parable. So you can see that even the, the, the dynamic freedom that Matthew and Luke had to quote from the saying source of Jesus but not be bound by what it says, to say it exactly. Yet at the same time, sometimes saying it so exactly that they replicate, as we'll see in other locations, poor grammar and misspellings. Which is weird. So but they do. We've so already seen that from throw Mark. Out, jump the quotation marks, right? No. Just be willing to realize that that everything that we have from Jesus' teachings comes to us as understood as heard, remembered, thought about, prayed about, retold, considered, written down. Interpreted, rewritten down, translated, rewritten down, reinterpreted to here, so to us. Q is blue. Is that, is that what Q mean? is blue. So, so these, this here is blue and white, or blue and, in, blue and, blue and yellow. Blue every, and yellow. just about every in Luke six twenty down through twenty six is blue and yellow. Matthew. From 5.3 to 5.11 is blue and white. It's not solid. When we get to something that's solid, that'll be curious. When you, and there are examples of that. We'll hit a couple of solids really soon here where it's just straight out almost with only tiny little differences. The same wording even. Usually the differences are in the form of Luke fixing things. Bad grammar, poor spelling, bad endings. Word order, but not much. He doesn't mess with that as much. Uh, but that's uh, but the, but for the most part, it's identical. And you'll get that, and you'll see that in, in in not too long. But this was an example of blue and yellow and blue and white. An example of Q, as interpreted by both. And I would say, not blue and white stripes and then white lines reflecting unique to Matthew so much as blue and white all the way through. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. 
That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.